Welcome to another episode of the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Join us as we talk to the experts to explore the field of nutritional sciences and how our food choices impact our health and the environment. My name is Stephanie Nishi, my co-host is Cassandra Carey, and today we are joined by Nancy Guest to talk about a plant-based diet for athletic performance. Dr. Nancy Guest is a registered dietitian with a sport focus. In addition to being a personal trainer and a strength and conditioning coach, she has been working in private practice for over two decades and has completed two Bachelor of Science degrees and a Master of Science degree at the University of British Columbia in the areas of agricultural science, dietetics, kinesiology, and nutritional sciences. Her doctoral research focused on nutrigenomics and athletic performance at the University of Toronto, where she received the 2019 Dr. Michael C. Archer Award for Research Excellence. She continues to do research in this area in addition to focusing on plant-based nutrition in her postdoctoral fellowship, also at the University of Toronto. She has published her research in top journals and given dozens of invited talks in Canada, the US, and Europe. She teaches sport nutrition and nutrigenomics courses at the college level, and she is a global consultant to professional and amateur athletes and teams. She served as the head dietitian at the Vancouver 2010 Olympics and Toronto 2015 Pan Am Games, and prepared several athletes for the last four, specifically the London, Sochi, Rio, and Pyeongchang Olympics. Okay, so thank you so much, Nancy, for joining us here today. Um, so we'll jump right into it. As a registered dietitian with a focus in sport and nutrigenomics, how did plant-based aspects become a part of your practice? Thank you for having me, Stephanie and Cassandra. I'm really excited to share some of my experience with athletes uh, in the plant-based world. So I've been vegetarian for about 26 years uh, since my third year of my agricultural science degree where I was studying animal science uh, to go into veterinary medicine. Uh, at that time, I recognized that uh, I had a deep care for animals and I no longer wanted to eat them. And uh, also at this time, I decided I probably was not able to pursue a career uh, as a vet, just uh, being ultra sensitive to, to seeing any suffering from animals. Uh, so that was many, many years ago. And almost two years ago, I uh, became vegan. Uh, I had been <clears throat> vegan on and off uh, over the past five or six years but I really decided to uh, make a lifelong commitment uh, to veganism and just really live up to who I believe myself to be uh, when it comes to my concern uh, for animal rights. And uh, of course, uh, some of the damage that, that livestock operations are doing to biodiversity and our planet and climate change and uh, things like that. So uh, I've been working with athletes for over 15 years and uh, a lot of my PhD research and my practice uh, has focused on sports nutrition and uh, genetics and nutrigenomics, uh, particular to my PhD project. So although I'm still doing uh, this in practice, uh, I did find that there was, uh, or there has been a, a real boost in the interest in plant-based eating over the past three or four years. 
And because this aligns with what I am doing personally, uh, it was just really a great fit for me uh, to be a go-to dietitian for athletes to come to when they were seeking guidance on how to support their performance and recovery and and training when it came to uh, moving more toward a plant-based diet or becoming 100% plant-based or vegan. And uh, so I saw there was an increased need in the um, uh, services um, uh, area, client services, when it came to uh, the athletic population and uh, the healthy, active general population. And so, uh, of course, this is my passion and I have a keen interest in this area. So it just was a great fit for me to start expanding uh, myself and uh, becoming uh, that sport dietitian with some expertise in plant-based nutrition. And uh, it it really is something that um, I'm excited every day to be working with athletes that are really motivated uh, for various reasons to adopt more of a plant-based diet. And in regards to the athletic side, with athletes such as pro NBA star Kyrie Irving and Canadian figure skater Megan Duhamel, who has three Olympic medals to her name, transitioning to plant-based and vegan dietary patterns during the course of their careers. Do you find many other athletes are quote-unquote going green? And if so, what is inspiring this change? Well, I I certainly do see many athletes going green, and I find that very inspiring, uh, very exciting. And I will say just with my own personal private practice, I've seen probably a tripling of athletes coming to me and wanting to go vegan uh, in the last two years or so. And so this is great news. Uh, I think a lot of it did stem from the release of The Game Changers, which of course was the movie uh, on athletes and, and veganism. Uh, that's a whole other podcast to dis- to discuss. But I do think that that really broadened our acknowledgement of what is going on in the world when it comes to uh, the planet, nutrition, and how athletic performance can be uh, affected potentially positively or negatively. Uh, But what I think is important to note is that we do have uh, some good science behind the way we eat and how we perform. And of course, that has been uh, the focus of my practice for, I guess, almost two decades is sports nutrition. And as I mentioned, now I do like to provide or, or sort of self-proclaim be an expert in the plant-based field because I think there is a lot of expertise lacking and a lot of those working with athletes are not understanding how they can support their athletes in this regard. So those that are coming to me have felt, um, have experienced difficulties in the past with that support of transitioning to a plant-based diet, whether from dietitians that they work with currently in their with in their team setting or as individuals with their coaches with their parents. So I think we need more dietitians that are helping to educate athletes and helping them feel secure in making this transition, no matter what the reason is. And the reason I make that statement is I think it's not for us to judge what type of diet an athlete wants to follow if 
it is not harming their performance or their recovery or their health. So I have a lot of athletes coming to me for not only reasons of potentially improving their health and performance, but they have real concerns about how what we eat is negatively impacting our environment, the climate crisis, as well as they have concerns about the ethical treatment of animals. And I think an individual's mental health and well-being is more than just the nutrition that they're putting into their body. It's about what am I doing uh, in my community or on this planet that's supporting what I believe in and what is important to me. So who am I as a practitioner, whether I be a dietitian, a coach or a medical doctor telling my athlete what they should or shouldn't eat? As long as their diet is supporting their health, their performance, their recovery, we really shouldn't be judging what they decide to eat. And it's my job that I help guide them and what they're choosing to eat that are going to support uh, those, those areas. So not only health and performance, but also the things that matter to them. And uh, just as a quick anecdote, I have on two occasions had young athletes come in, uh, the parent has brought them in and said, my child wants to go vegan, vegetarian, I'm concerned, you know, please tell them they need to have uh, chicken and yogurt and fish to be healthy and be strong. And the, the child or teen is in tears saying, I don't want to eat animals. And the parent has this old school notion that you need to eat animals in order to repair your muscles. And as we know, this simply isn't true. And this is really going against that young person's self recognition of who they are. And this is a time of developing who you are as a person, and your respect for your surroundings, including uh, who we share this planet with. And so I find it a little bit distressing for young athletes that are working in environments where it's not highly accepted, a vegan diet or a plant-based diet or a vegetarian diet uh, by parents, by friends' parents, teammates' parents, by coaches, and many that are involved. So I like to provide a safe place for male and female athletes where they can talk to me about their perceived or real barriers. And especially when it comes to male athletes that are feeling somehow uh, ostracized, if they are not part of that culture of being masculine means you barbecue and you eat meat, which we also know is very outdated. You know, that that's a little bit of what I'm what I'm seeing uh, in practice. So sort of the two main areas, health and performance, and uh, a, a cleaner whole foods plant based approach, but also feeling that uh, they many athletes, they want to share uh, certain causes, and many have chosen that their cause is the protection of animals or the protection of our planet, uh, as it involves climate change and the environment. It sounds like many of the reasons um, that athletes are being inspired to follow a plant-based dietary pattern are very similar to those of the general population as well. And since we may not be all be elite athletes, could you tell us a little bit about the dietary needs and recommendations for those who may be an everyday athlete or just a generally active individual and the similarities and differences comparing those needs and recommendations for high performance athletes? 
Yeah, great question. I do get this question quite often. Uh, so to begin, uh, athletes are humans looking for optimal health first, and they are athletes looking to perform second. Uh, so almost all health improvement strategies uh, would we would utilize for health are also building the foundation of an athlete. So our sports nutrition recommendations are based on the assumption that all of us want to get the most benefits from our training and our workouts so we can perform the bet to the best of our abilities, whether it's a personal best in a 10K or training for your first marathon or, um, you know, those getting ready for the, the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, so because each elite or high-performance athlete and casual exerciser or fitness enthusiast is unique, uh, a one-size-fits-all diet approach doesn't really work. So I, I tend to, um, you know, want individuals to uh, experiment with their fueling practices and knowing what works for them and settles their stomach before a workout and uh, what to uh, consume afterward, depending on their goals. Uh, so, so although we hear a, a lot about protein and making sure you're getting enough protein, I think one of the, the biggest differentiators it, between uh, the average exerciser and athletes is the carbohydrate requirements. So um, all people that exercise can improve their performance by making sure that they're consuming adequate high quality carbs, such as grains and legumes. So beans and peas and lentils, uh, fruits and veggies. And this of course is the main part of a, a vegan diet. And this is going to fuel muscles and prevent uh, needless fatigue. And then, um, you know, so this is, this is for everybody, but what athletes that are uh, training several hours a day, or perhaps twice a day, uh, they have a lot higher of an energy expenditure. So we want to make sure that they are fueling with uh, more dense carbohydrate sources. So such as grains, uh, starchy root vegetables. So an athlete who's training every day is more likely able to, to get away with having rice and bread and pasta and, you know, several servings of fruit per day. Whereas uh, someone who's perhaps exercising for an hour a day, uh, three to five times a week, uh, may have to limit some of those, uh, those carbohydrate sources that, that may be uh, higher in uh, energy density, and perhaps uh, switch to eating more vegetables, even though they need to fuel their exercise, they don't need quite as as many calories. Now, when it comes to to protein, um, usually, an athlete uh, who's training their muscles uh, day after day, uh, may need a little bit more protein. But for the regular person, we also want protein to be used as something that's going to help with satiety and help to prevent overconsumption when you're looking at balancing your weight, keeping within that healthy range, uh, keeping lean, uh, or looking to lose body fat, uh, protein is actually something helpful. And so we don't generally recommend percentage 
uh, a protein by the whole diet, but more so grams per kilogram, which is more accurate. And our goal is anywhere from uh, about 1.5 to, to 1.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. And this, of course, is going to come from uh, in a plant-based diet from your uh, grains and your beans and your lentils and your tofu and any of your soy products, uh, your plant milks, some of them are going to be higher in protein than others, uh, nuts and seeds. Uh, but again, we want to be careful of some of those uh, nut and seed sources of protein because those are also higher in fat, uh, healthy fats. However, that is still a very dense energy source. So if I'm trying to get my protein needs from uh, nuts, uh, such as almonds and walnuts and peanuts, and then also using uh, hemp seeds and chia seeds or sunflower seeds as a, a source of protein as well, or nut butters, uh, that can really add up at the end of the day being, you know, 30, 40, 50 grams of fat uh, coming from the nuts and seeds. So we want to make sure we have some leaner alternatives as well. And uh, that would uh, be coming from your, uh, your legumes group which is going to be uh, quite low in fat uh, in general. Uh, and uh, when it comes to fluids, of course, that, that's similar uh, among uh, both groups. You, you want to drink and, and hydrate uh, for what your needs are for how much you're exercising and whether you're exercising in the heat or not. Uh, so athletes generally need to add a little bit of sodium to their diet. They're, they're more concerned with electrolyte losses Whereas somebody who's exercising, uh, you know, three to six hours per week uh, might not be losing uh, as much um, uh, uh, sodium in their in their sweat uh, because they're just not uh, putting in that same volume of training. Uh, and then when it comes to fats, uh, those are also similar, uh, but between athletes and recreational exercisers. But I think. Uh, what is going to be different is uh, the total energy intake. So athletes are generally going to be having more carbohydrates, a bit more fat, uh, a bit more protein, uh, but the, the highest increase is going to be in carbohydrates for fuel because uh, athletes are generally, uh, you know, probably expending uh, three, four or five times as much energy day to day on physical activity or exercise than your average person. So I think that's the biggest difference. Uh, and then when it comes to vitamins and minerals, most of those are going to be the same, uh, with the exception, I would say of iron. And we know that athletes, uh, especially endurance athletes, tend to have a higher risk of iron deficiency, uh, just due to some uh, blood losses in the GI tract for, uh, from the intestine sort of jostling around with a lot of uh, intense movement, especially in runners. We also see uh, broken red blood cells uh, from the pounding of uh, basketball or volleyball or running, and this is called foot strike hemolysis. Uh, so we need to replace uh, some of that iron. Uh, and because we're getting non-heme sources uh, or plant iron uh, uh, sources in a plant-based diet, 
uh, we generally have to move that up to about uh, 1.8 times as much plant iron as you would need as uh, iron coming from an animal source or heme iron. So I think, uh, you know, one should sit down with a dietitian or uh, another nutrition professional and get those details ironed out uh, for their individual needs. So, you know, there's some basic recommendations, uh, but if I had to say, you know, one thing that differs the most, it would be energy requirements. And um, uh, yeah, we can get into uh, some of the other supplements uh, as well, where we would just be uh, recommending those to athletes, those would be in the category of ergogenic aids or performance enhancers. So what are some things that um, people can do to try to address their goals, such as the ones that you mentioned, or even things that they may not necessarily think of as main goals, but things to be aware of, like increased iron or protein levels, if that's something that's a concern or carbohydrate intake, depending on if they're an endurance athlete or not. Yeah, I think uh, sports nutrition in general is very broad. And uh, I do find that it, it, it is interesting, uh, because some of the, uh, the same nutrients that I'm concerned with in my omnivorous uh, athlete clientele, are the same things that I would be concerned about in a plant based diet. And I don't find that there is a huge difference. And iron is one of them. Uh, most individuals are not ingesting uh, six, eight, 10 ounces of beef a day uh, to, to uh, meet their iron needs, uh, whether they're an omnivore or a, a vegetarian. So I think it's a little bit misleading to think uh, that, um, you know, that, that omnivorous individuals are eating uh, so much uh, animal muscle that they're getting uh, adequate iron from those sources where we don't see that to begin with, uh, unless um, you're working with someone who is having that uh, carnivore or keto approach, which we don't recommend, nor do we see much in the athletic community. So if we take your, your typical omnivore, uh, who's consuming some chicken and fish and yogurt and eggs, and those are the sources of the animal foods, along with their diet that's high in fruits and vegetables and whole grains and nuts and seeds. Uh, they're, the only differences uh, there would be perhaps your chicken, fish, eggs, and yogurt, uh, when we look at 100% uh, plant-based diet versus that omnivore. And those foods I just listed are not naturally high in iron. So I'm concerned about iron, uh, no matter what type of diet my athlete is following. And if we look at the numbers, it's maybe three milligrams of iron in a, a small steak, a, a three or four ounce steak. So that really is not going to meet the needs of a female who needs 18 milligrams a day of iron or a male uh, who needs uh, maybe seven, 10, 12, depending if he is an endurance athlete or not. And of course, for females that gets up uh, to 25 milligrams or more. So I, I think it's important to, uh, to keep in check what, uh, wh where the sources of these micronutrients are coming from, and whether those tend to be uh, low in an omnivore diet as well. 
Uh, so another concern I have is calcium. And rarely are we seeing someone who is consuming three, four, uh, five servings of dairy products a day, whether they're plant-based or not. So I still want to be uh, ensuring that my athlete's getting enough calcium. Uh, B12 will be the only nutrient that I would very most specifically be concerned with when I'm looking at a plant-based diet or a vegan diet compared to an omnivore diet. And that is, of course, because we cannot uh, get our B12 from any natural sources and we do need to supplement. Uh, but Another example is when we look at vitamin D, we know that uh, vitamin D is something recommended across the board, no matter if you're vegetarian, vegan, or an omnivore. And it is difficult to get that uh, from your diet unless you're using uh, fortified uh, plant beverages or fortified dairy milk uh, or other fortified beverages. Uh, or in the case of those who consume fish, you can get a decent amount in your uh, fatty fish oils. But that is also something I don't see in my omnivore athletes. They're not having high intakes of fatty fish. Uh, so right there, uh, I'm looking at uh, ways that I can increase their vitamin D intake, dietary or supplement. And also when it comes to omega-3 fatty acids, there is also uh, that, um, a bit of a, a misunderstanding on uh, where we can get our omega-3 fats uh, in a plant-based uh, diet. And if that's going to meet our goals for increasing our DHA levels, which would just come primarily from fish or algae. So uh, there's a lot of research uh, right now in that space showing that ALA or plant omega-3s are sufficient in uh, plant-based diets as well as in omnivorous diets uh, because we're not seeing high intakes of fish and we are not generally seeing high intakes of, of supplements. Uh, but when we look at the, the research, we really are, are not seeing uh, low levels of DHA in our plant-based uh, individuals uh, despite there being concerned about this conversion rate. So I think we'll be seeing some, some really important research over the next couple of years and much of it coming out of the University of Toronto in Dr. Richard Bazinet's lab, uh, looking at uh, some human trials that are, are uh, you know, establishing through decades of research that likely this conversion is adequate and our DHA levels that we're seeing in vegans are have reached homeostatic levels. And just because you are supplementing with more and more ALA or plant based omega three, and the DHA levels are not going up, it doesn't mean that there's an issue with conversion. This means that you have probably achieved sufficient DHA levels. So this is quite exciting, uh, considering that uh, our plant-based uh, athletes and general population generally do have much higher intakes of ALA and, uh, of course, virtually no intakes of DHA. Uh, but I think this has been uh, a problem that has been created uh, uh, with um, a, a lack of research uh, supporting that this, in fact, is an issue. If you go through the literature, we really don't see omega-3 deficiencies in, in case studies 
Uh, we're just seeing some associations uh, when we do clinical trials with fish oils, but those uh, trials have, have largely failed uh, broadly as well. So uh, I think uh, we, we need to keep in mind is that their uh, dietary DHA is not seen to be essential. There's no RDA, there's no AI, and we do have an AI or adequate intake for ALA. And uh, currently with what the research uh, we see out there, it looks like that is probably satisfactory uh, for everyone. From hearing what you're saying, it sounds like across the board, there's individuals who just have deficiencies or components that are lacking in their dietary intake. Um, For those who are specifically following a plant-based dietary pattern, and I realize that everybody is very individualized and has specific recommendations for them, but are there any general broad spectrum recommendations that you could say to address some of these things that you're speaking about, the iron, the protein, those sorts of aspects for our listeners, just to get a better idea. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think one uh, place that we can turn back to is looking at our dietary guidelines. And uh, I think Canada has done a great job with, you know, leaving out some of the, the food groups that we didn't need to necessarily be a food group. Uh, but if we look at that eating pattern, lots of fruits and vegetables, looking to get all of your proteins from plant sources, the guidelines are already recommending that you should get at least half of your protein from plant sources. So I think looking at guidelines in the US and Canada, focusing on your legumes, your nuts, your seeds, your whole grains, your fruits and your vegetables. And then when it comes to dairy, we can look at fortified dairy alternative beverages in our plant-based clientele. And then when it comes to our protein foods, we can look for meat alternatives or natural plant proteins. And those are going to, of course, be all of your uh, legumes and nuts and seeds. So I think a lot of uh, individuals look at plant-based eating as being something special they need to do or something that's more difficult. Uh, But I think if you just look at following our general dietary guidelines, but think of substituting your animal muscle food, such as your chicken and fish and beef, either with beans or lentils or tofu or a meat replacement, uh, such as many products we have on the market, I think it's much easier to, uh, to recognize that, that uh, you can do this without a lot of extra effort and a lot of extra cooking skills or planning. So I think that's probably the big one is understanding where you're going to get your protein from. And just to give you specifics with what I do with my athletes, is I say, okay, if you are going to have uh, your your spaghetti, and you'd usually have a a cup of meat in your sauce, uh, let's use a a cup of uh, some of these other meat alternatives that come in the in the ground beef type formulation, or let's use uh, black beans or lentils, and you can have that in your sauce or let's use our chopped up tofu or tempeh. All of those cups of protein are fairly equivalent when you look at a cup of chicken versus a cup of beef versus a cup of tofu versus a cup of beans or lentils. So that's really quite an easy substitute. And then when it comes to drinking perhaps 
uh, two cups of milk after a workout, which I know is highly recommended in the sort of the dairy proponents and the chocolate milk, we can do this with soy milk. We can also do this with these pea milks that are now higher in protein. And I, I wouldn't be recommending things like the almond or cashew or coconut milk, because those tend to be very low in protein, perhaps one gram in a cup. But we do have more and more products uh, entering the marketplace really on a daily, weekly basis. And we now have a, a, a new soy protein, not available in Canada yet, but it has 20 grams per serving of protein, high quality, complete protein. And, and this is, uh, I think, by the, the company Silk that makes the soy uh, beverages. So uh, I think if athletes or uh, individuals can understand where they're able to make those uh, quick, easy substitutions, they don't need a complete overall overhaul to their diet, they should be uh, having their, you know, their sandwiches, their whole grain bread, their whole grain uh, oatmeal or pastas, uh, whether they're having a, a salad, a salad that's rich with nuts and seeds and different types of vegetables, if, instead of that being topped with chicken breast, top it with some grilled tofu or top it with some grilled mushrooms, as well as some other perhaps uh, veggie type burgers that you can crumble up and throw on top of a salad. So uh, I think um, it doesn't have to be as difficult. And if you look at uh, also uh, some cuisines that we see as far as the Middle Eastern inspired or Asian or Mexican, they're naturally plant-based. Uh, so they never did contain animal products. And I think the more one can sort of look into the, the types of meals, I think it's not as intimidating as, as many think it is. We have about 10,000 edible plants on earth, yet we tend to cycle the same eight to 10 animal products. So if you're taking out eight to 10 animal products out of your diet, you still have hundreds and thousands of different combinations that you can use with plant foods. Really, the, the guideline would be eating from your general food groups, perhaps being a little bit more specific with your protein sourcing. But otherwise, I think it's it's similar among athletes that are following plant based or plant based with moderate amounts of animal foods. And we can't say that we have evidence that there that there would be an improvement in performance when adopting a plant based diet. But we certainly have evidence to show that it's equivalent. So if you have other reasons for wanting to embrace a plant based diet, you can do so without feeling like you just put yourself at some impairment or uh, some disadvantage compared to an individual who is consuming animal source foods frequently in their diet. So uh, and we do have uh, some evidence that does merit this uh, notion that there are potential performance enhancements when we're following a predominantly plant based diet. Some of the potential benefits that we're, we're trying to pursue, you know, with with regard to the research, which this is a very keen area of research is seeing how we can perform better and be healthier when when following plant based diet. Uh, one is the higher fiber content. Uh, naturally occurring in plant based diets. And this is lowering the caloric density or energy density of, of the diet. And we know through uh, dozens of studies that vegans tend to have lower BMIs, lower uh, body fat levels. And generally, when one adopts a plant based diet, they will reduce their uh, body fat levels. So this, of course, is an advantage 
uh, for most athletes who need to keep lean uh, to, to enhance or maintain their performance. And as I mentioned earlier, this could be a concern for some athletes that are really finding it difficult to meet their energy needs. Uh, we want to make sure that they're producing more, those more energy dense carbohydrates, carbohydrate sources, such as your grains and your starches and starchy vegetables. Uh, we do see benefits to the microbiome. Uh, although it's unclear that there are specific benefits to performance, we do know that fiber fermenting bacteria are preferable and these do seem to be uh, increasingly are being shown uh, to be associated with positive health benefits. And uh, one thing the microbiome is also offering is the production of short chain fatty acids in the GI tract. And as I mentioned before, uh, we, we can get a lot of GI disturbances in athletes, and this really can be an impairment to training and performance for, for many athletes due to all of that, uh, not only the, the, uh, the link, the, the gut to brain axis uh, stress response, but also uh, the jostling around of, of your internal organs and GI tract, which can cause uh, some of that uh, GI bleeding and also can cause some perforations in, in the mucosal wall in the GI tract. We know that the microbiome producing some of these fatty acids can help heal that. So some of those uh, perhaps gaps or the, this leaky gut syndrome we hear about, whether mild or, or moderate, supporting that healthy microbiome is helping to keep that mucus layer nice and thick and protecting the gastrointestinal walls. So uh, we do know that uh, in order to have a decent population of, of your microbiota, you do need to have a high intake of plant source foods. This is again, going to be your fruits, your vegetables, your nuts, your seeds, all of your legumes. And I think, you know, this is, is also running into the the uh, antioxidants and the polyphenols and some of the relationships we see with uh, reduction in blood viscosity, uh, vascular flexibility. So we know some of these phytonutrients are allowing our vascular system to be uh, more flexible, which is uh, going to help with cardiovascular function, endothelial function. We do know that nitrates which are found in especially vegetables, uh, beetroot might uh, sound familiar to many, these nitrates are known to be vasodilators. So if I can dilate my blood vessels, that means I can get more oxygen and more fuel to my working muscles. So this is not only helping uh, skeletal muscle, but also the cardiac uh, tissue blood flow and oxygenation. And then when it comes to recovery, we know that we have something, a phenomenon called exercise induced oxidative stress. So the, the production of high levels of free radicals, which of course we can neutralize by ingesting higher levels of dietary antioxidants. And these are also having anti-inflammatory properties and also helping uh, to reduce that, the, the oxidative stress and inflammation that comes from high intensity training. So if we can reduce that muscle damage, that's going to allow us to adapt to our training and make that progress to the next level more effectively and more efficiently. And uh, certainly uh, recovering more efficiently is helpful to uh, the immune system uh, as well. And uh, anything that we can do to recover 
uh, better is going to uh, help athletes uh, during times of heavy training, stress and travel. And of course, exposure to novel pathogens, uh, you know, such as we're experiencing right now as well. Great. And since uh, we're already on this topic, talking about recovery and a plant-based diet, um, has there been been any research as of late or in the past uh, talking about a whole food plant-based diet and how this can reduce recovery time needed in between workouts? And if so, do we know how this is occurring or the mechanisms that's happening within the body to reduce recovery time? Well, I think that probably uh, is summarized in a lot of what I just mentioned. Uh, I'm not, um, I don't know any studies that have, that have specifically showed that there is a, a shortened recovery time uh, because this uh, does get involved, you know, the, the type of training, the, the, the genetics of an athlete. We do know that there are genetic variants that uh, the actin three gene that's associated with uh a greater muscle damage after intense training uh, in some versus others. Uh, but certainly when it comes to uh, the DOMS or delayed muscle, delayed onset muscle soreness, that's what the DOM stands for, or the muscle damage, uh, we do know that the inflammation occurring here is causing uh, stiffness, uh, reduced range of motion, and it's not allowing uh, the, the muscles to uh, function at the levels uh, that um, they would uh, uh, pre-damage. And so if we are ingesting more of these plant nutrients or phytonutrients, which come in the form of these antioxidants, for example, their properties that are having anti-inflammatory effects and antioxidant effects are uh, theoretically uh, showing that shortened recovery time. Um, but I don't think there have been any specific interventions uh, using a diet that's lower in these substances uh, coming from plants and, and those that are higher. Uh, but certainly we do, uh, well, certainly we see anecdotally uh, that those who adopt a plant-based diet are feeling that they recover much more quickly. And I have dozens of athletes telling me this, but of course, as a scientist, uh, this does need to be tested. Um, but uh, any time that we can more quickly address inflammation uh, and uh, reduce that extra inflammation that could be uh, causing an athlete to need more rest, uh, we can make it to that next training session uh, more quickly. That's going to help uh, that progress happen more quickly. So if I can meet my goals in three months, as opposed to five months as an athlete, because I'm recovering more quickly, and I don't need a full two or three days to recover, uh, I'm going to accelerate uh, my my performance um, uh, much, much faster. And therefore, that puts me ahead of some of my opponents or um, I'm, I'm not having to take that same downtime because my body has just become more efficient with that recovery process. So we certainly have uh, mechanisms of action that uh, make sense for this to be occurring and uh, whether it's being tested or not uh, directly, I think we still need uh, some more research to, uh, to tease out exactly what is happening on the cellular level. 
Yes, for sure. Thank you so much for all that insightful information. Um, just shifting gears a little bit, do you recommend a different dietary approach when incorporating a plant-based diet depending on the type of athletic activities an athlete is doing? So for instance, let's say aerobic activities with an endurance focus versus anaerobic activities with, for example, a weightlifting focus. Uh, yeah, we absolutely need more carbohydrates with sustained aerobic exercise uh, compared to the more intermittent strength type exercise. So for example, if you compare a 60 minute run or uh, a cycling uh, endurance session, uh, you are going to use a lot more energy than if you went into the gym and you did a set of weights every two to three minutes over that same 60 minute period. So it, it depends on uh, the intensity, the type of training, uh, whether it's uh, high intensity intervals or it's pure strength training. Like I said, going and doing a 20 second set and then waiting three minutes before you do your next set. We don't have a lot of energy expenditure in that type of workout. Uh, we also have to look at goals. We have some individuals that need to ingest a lot more energy because they're looking to gain muscle mass and that requires a higher energy intake and adequate protein, but not necessarily more protein than an endurance counterpart. So I would say that the biggest difference is the energy intake. And we talk about training and being carb smart. And we call, uh, we also uh, talk about uh, fueling for work performed. So I generally have my athletes ingesting similar amounts of fat uh, day to day, similar amounts of protein grams per kilogram day to day, uh, around the 1.5 gram per kilogram of body weight, no matter what type of athlete they are. And then where we see uh, some major inter individual differences among different sports is with that carbohydrate or energy intake. And again, this is because I may have an endurance athlete expending 10 15,000 calories a week in their training sessions, and in their uh, competition or their races, where as a team sport athlete uh, may have uh, expenditures that are one third of that. And really, the differences become uh, specifically around fuel needs. And uh, I think this is uh, important for individuals to know is that you need adequate protein, no matter what type of training you do, because we do have our mitochondrial proteins, which are important for aerobic exercise, those need to be repaired. And then we have more of our myofibrillar or structural proteins, which are the ones that are uh, often broken down in more power training, uh, although those are uh, among all athletes. So I think there's a little bit of confusion out there that endurance athletes need less protein than strength athletes. That's not the case. Uh, but of course, when it comes to that plant based approach, I do like to make sure that my athletes know uh, some very quick go to sources of protein. So that you know, some of the more natural protein bars, uh, using any type of plant based protein powder that they like. But what I like to do to top it up for highest or optimizing the uh, muscle protein synthesis benefit would be using fermented leucine 
or a source of branch chain amino acids. Uh, so then we don't have to worry about the exact quality of that plant-based uh, protein. Um, there are some great ones out there, but a way of gaining some peace of mind is just adding uh, two or three grams of fermented leucine. And that way you can optimize any of your protein powders. And I think using a powder or uh, using another source of protein in a smoothie is another go-to for athletes. And uh, that's where I can get in some healthy fats using some nuts, some seeds, uh, some uh, flaxseed oil, um, using nut butters, get some fruits and vegetables in there, a high quality protein. And uh, I'm a big fan of smoothies uh, when it comes to uh, getting the, the maximal amount of nutrients in one simple, easy to prepare meal. And I, I also uh, like that to be the, the uh, vehicle in which protein powders are ingested, as opposed to just mixing with water, which is really quite a step down as far as nutrient density, having all those other ingredients in the smoothies much better than just water, or just using a plant milk. Yes, for sure. I also personally try to incorporate a smoothie um, in my daily life every morning. And talking about protein and specifically the amino acid profile, there seems to be a lot of talk on the complete protein profile of plant-based diets when it comes to athletes and people in the wellness community as well. And so can you speak a little bit on the amino acid profile in a whole foods plant-based diet compared to a standard on omnivorous diet in terms of what we can get from these diets and what the body needs to function optimally in terms of the amino acid profile? I think despite what you hear, uh, all plants contain all nine amino acids. It really just comes to down to the amount and us needing to consume um, a little bit more of certain plants uh, to, to up uh, our intake of certain amino acids that are not found in other plants that we're consuming throughout the day or even at the same meal. Uh, but I, I think there's a longstanding misunderstanding that you need to combine certain proteins. We know that the body is operating over the course of the day or several days, uh, not by the meal. So some of that combining, I think happens very naturally, uh, ingesting nuts or seeds with whole grains, a perfect example will be having peanut butter on whole grain toast. And uh, contrary to what people criticize the Game Changers movie for, uh, you can uh, achieve 20 grams of protein in a whole grain uh, peanut butter sandwich. And that actually is equivalent to a small uh, chicken breast or a cup of tofu, or, you know, two to three eggs. Uh, so really, it is much easier than than people think we also have a combination of rice and beans, uh, or um, uh, beans with with hummus, hummus and pita bread, uh, a bean based uh, chili that you have some whole grain crackers, uh, having your refried fried beans and salsa uh, on tortillas. Um, we, we certainly have a lot of combinations that people are eating anyway. These, these combinations are just excluding uh, an animal uh, source of protein, which is, is really not taking away from that meal uh, when you have these combinations. And I think in order to optimize and maximize your 
nutrient intake, we always want a variety of plant sources. So it's not just about the protein, it's the overall uh, variety in nutrient intake. And the more uh, variety we have, uh, the more nutritional benefits and perhaps indirectly performance benefits uh, we can achieve. So, you know, what, what has also come uh, to the forefront in the marketplace uh, so I think it's also worth addressing some of these uh, products that we're seeing coming to the marketplace in uh, very high numbers. We have a lot of alternatives uh, to meat and chicken and fish, uh, some of these novel products that are, are fabulous. And these have been created to fully uh, replace an animal source uh, food with regard to the B12, the iron, the protein, and many other vitamins and minerals. Now, many of these may be highly processed. And of course, we want to limit processed foods in the diet. However, using these meat substitutes, I think are fine, uh, two or three times a month. Um, and I don't think we we should be concerned that all processed foods are necessarily unhealthy. And it really comes down to the degree of processing, and also what your overall diet is. So I have no uh, issue with uh, someone using a, a plant based uh, burger, you know, once or twice a week in a sauce or as a burger, or uh, in what, whatever form uh, is, is suiting that individual. But when it comes to that whole foods uh, approach, I think we have plenty to choose from. It just becomes a matter of understanding what your options are, uh, getting some some favorite recipes and just keeping those on hand, uh, knowing what to get at the grocery store. And Google is actually something of, of great value. I think if you Google uh, healthy vegan meals, you probably get uh, several million hits. So there's no shortage of information. Uh, I think it's just a, a matter of adopting a new habit and feeling confident that you're doing it for, you know, the reasons that you set out to do and, and, and sticking with it and recognizing that it doesn't all have to be done overnight. You can make uh, that transition more slowly or go uh, cold turkey. And I have many coming to me that want to do uh, both of those approaches. Um, but, but certainly I, uh, I do feel that, um, with a little bit of guidance, all of the athletes I've worked with have been successful. And I really haven't seen uh, anyone that found it too difficult to meet their nutrient needs and felt somehow that they were uh, suffering any sort of degradation to their performance in, in training or in competition. So that's really positive for, for me that uh, athletes um, are, are feeling great about this change and they're not seeing anything negative. And uh, it becomes actually a very positive mindset for them to know that they're doing something that feels good beyond just their body. I really appreciate your emphasis on variety and the whole foods plant based dietary pattern, but can also appreciate as you mentioned that even if you do a Google search on what can I make for dinner, millions of hits come up. Um, and you mentioned that there are some alternative products out there and potentially taking this one step further, people may feel like they have to resort to supplements. And what's your view on and recommendations in regards to nutritional supplements used by athletes um, and the everyday athlete and specifically athletes or individuals who follow a plant-based dietary pattern? 
Well, something interesting uh, about supplements, uh, th this is uh, often the criticism of uh, those that, that uh, go vegan or adopt a, a full plant-based diet. And many will, will criticize saying you have to take so many supplements. Um, this really isn't the case. And if we look at who's buying supplements, uh, the global dietary supplement industry, uh, I think is approaching 150 billion. And vegans we know are making up perhaps 0.01% uh, of this market, because that's the size of the population of vegans percentage wise. And if we look at uh, the, the number of vegans that actually take uh, supplements, um, you know, this percentage gets even smaller. So it isn't, uh, you know, the demand by vegans, although uh, I would uh, say that I, I am more confident in an athlete or a, a vegan athlete meeting their nutritional needs when they do incorporate some supplements. Uh, again, it depends on your baseline diet. And uh, I have some vegan athletes that are only consuming uh, B12 in supplementary form. Otherwise, they're meeting all of their micro and macronutrient uh, needs with diet only. I do have other individuals that are on a energy restricted diet. So they don't want to consume a lot of extra fats in the form of uh, walnuts, uh, chia, flax and hemp which is where I would say we would source our plant omega threes. So instead, I have them consuming lower amounts of that, but I do put them on an uh, algal uh, supplement. So a DHA coming from algae, which is vegan friendly. So uh, that that's one supplement. Uh, a multivitamin is something I feel confident to just pick up, you know, as a bit of a safeguard to pick up on on days that perhaps they're not getting quite enough riboflavin or zinc or another micronutrient. Uh, when it comes to iron, I do look for fortified iron foods. And in many of my female or endurance athletes of either sex, they are using an iron supplement. Uh, when it comes to uh, ergogenic aids, when we look at things like creatine, I think that is uh, supported in the research, although we need more, and uh, we can produce that endogenously. But we do have research that shows vegetarians and vegans have lower muscle levels of creatine, but we haven't been able to uh, unequivocally uh, show that performance is going to uh, be superior when we uh, take a, a creatine supplement um, at a level that an omnivore would that would be um, ingesting from animal uh, animal muscle uh, for the most part. But when we get to those supra physiologic levels, we do see that omnivores and vegetarians and vegans are having uh, equivalent type improvements. So I think if an athlete is, is wanting to uh, consume creatine to get that ergogenic benefit, uh, it, it doesn't really matter what your initial baseline uh, diet is, the amount of creatine you would need, you could never get from diet, it would be, you know, one to two pounds of steak uh, per day, which is obviously a impractical uh, recommendation, and uh, certainly not something that would be well accepted by most. And the same thing comes with carnosine or beta alanine. We know that these nutrients are present in uh, present in muscle tissue, and uh, predominantly in, in chicken and turkey, but the amount of uh, chicken or turkey, uh, you know, two, three, six, eight uh, poultry breasts a day 
is not practical recommendation, uh, we would recommend a beta alanine supplement, which in the body is going to increase muscular levels of carnosine, which uh, will act as a buffer. And so for those athletes that are involved in high intensity sports that are uh, creating high levels of the hydrogen ions, which cause that acidity and that fatigue in the muscle, they would benefit from that type of supplement. But we do get criticism that all athletes should be taking creatine and carnosine. That's not the case unless those athletic goals are uh, something that you would take uh, as an omnivore who, who would want to accelerate their performance uh, by means of creatine and, and uh, carnosine. Because we do see that there are multiple benefits of creatine, I uh, do recommend uh, for most athletes uh, to take one to two grams per day, uh, just as a as a safeguard that they are producing or, or having um, access uh, to enough uh, phosphocreatine uh, stores in their muscle. And we are seeing other uh, benefits when it comes to cognition. Uh, there, there are a lot of uh, great review papers out there that are going over uh, many of the benefits. So I don't think there's any drawback to consuming creatine unless you're an athlete that is in a sport that involves running or jumping, then you have to weigh uh, the cost of, of retaining uh, some water. So an increase in body mass, which can be obviously detrimental to some sports, but that is generally seen with higher intakes. So I think creatine is, is a recommendation that is, is just fine uh, for athletes and non-athletes alike. Um, I do think that it is something that we're seeing some important health benefits yeah, so it sounds like there are these ergogenic substances that are can be performance enhancing, but they're not necessarily needed and that we can get for the most part our nutrients from our dietary intake. And so just to wrap up today's episode, could you tell us about the plant-based research that you've been currently working on or where the research relating to athletics and plant-based dietary patterns is headed based on the current knowledge gaps? I am currently working on a, a few uh, review papers. Uh, one is looking to, to summarize some of the research and what we know about protein uh, ingestion and building muscle, whether it's coming from a plant-based uh, protein source or an animal uh, source protein. And I think we're really coming to a place where we have enough research, enough randomized control trials to show that if you are consuming adequate protein, it doesn't matter uh, whether it's coming from a plant uh, or an animal, as long as you are achieving adequate amounts of amino acids, uh, the source really doesn't matter. It's more about uh, that resistance exercise stimulus. So I'm really looking forward to a, a review paper that's going to cover that. And uh, there was a, a recent study just published a couple of months ago uh, that showed that there are no differences uh, when putting athletes on a strength training program uh, for 12 weeks. Uh, there were no differences whether in muscle gain or strength gain when it uh, came to the, the groups uh, getting their protein from, from the different sources. And then we have some older studies and meta-analyses that summarize uh, sourcing whey as a supplement versus soy as a supplement. And we really are seeing some equivalence there. Uh, so I'm hoping to write more on that and as well uh, do some research uh, trying to survey and investigate uh, the attitudes around 
uh, plant-based eating, new plant-based products in the marketplace, and red meat, and how this affects uh, dietary choices and what people's current concerns are about the environment, about the climate crisis, uh, and about animal welfare. And I think if we can gather more information on uh, current beliefs and attitudes, that will help uh, structure our dietary recommendations and uh, health recommendations to our clients and patients. Well, thank you so much, Nancy, for all of your insightful information. I know that uh, personally myself, I have learned a few extra tidbits just listening to you speak. And so, yeah, thank you so much for talking to us today and sharing all of your knowledge. And we hope to chat soon. Yeah, that's great. Thanks very much for having me. And um, uh, certainly there are a lot of resources out there and anyone can also feel uh, free to to get in touch with me if they need uh, some guidance or I can direct them with some online resources. Uh, and I just want every active person out there to know that there are no barriers to your performance and your adaptations to training uh, if you choose to adopt a plant-based diet. And that's something we can really feel good about uh, as, a, as a community uh, working with athletes and the, the fact that we're, we're thinking uh, beyond ourselves and we can contribute to the health of the planet and, and its inhabitants uh, without compromising performance. Thank you so much, Nancy. This episode was hosted by myself, Stephanie Nishi, and my co-host, Cassandra Carey. Clint Stamatovich is our audio engineer. A very special thanks to our guest, Dr. Nancy Guest, for speaking with us and sharing her insights. And of course, thank you for listening. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada, which aims to educate the public and health professionals on the evidence-based benefits of plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website at www.plantbasedcanada.org and stay up to date by following us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Plant Based Canada. Also, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts and rate us five stars. Until next time.